Welcome back to Bible Time. We're in Ezekiel chapter 24 today, a little bit different. Go ahead and turn there in your Bibles, especially those of you that were already in 2 Thessalonians, expecting us to be there. Hurry up. Ezekiel chapter 24. Ezekiel chapter 24. It says again in the ninth year, in the tenth month, in the tenth day of the month, the word of the Lord came unto me, saying, Son of man, write thee the name of the day, even of this same day, the king of Babylon set himself against Jerusalem this same day. Father, in Jesus' name, please help us to comprehend the message that you have for us today. Help us to take heed and help us to change our lives based on the Word of God and be obedient to the Word of God. In Jesus' name and for Christ's sake, amen. Here in Ezekiel 24, we're going to be looking at this concept of setting your destiny or your destiny being set. Now, you think of the word set, uh, a lot of times we say set the cup down, set the set the ball over there, and you put down the ball, and the ball rolls itself down the hill, and it doesn't stay where you put it. Or you set the cup down on the edge of the table, and a toddler comes running through and grabs the cup and jerks it off the table and slings the water everywhere. Uh, so whenever we say set, usually we don't think of anything very permanent. Usually we're thinking of something pretty temporary, um, something just being set for a little while. And that is not the same way that the set is used here in this, in this verse, in verse 2. Son of man, write thee the name of the day, even of this same day, the king of Babylon set himself against Jerusalem this day. So in another place, I believe it's in Jeremiah, he has more details about how Nebuchadnezzar looked in the liver and he consulted with his diviners. He consulted with those of his um, wise men and magicians and decided which way he was going to go. And he wasn't sure which way to go. He was really annoyed with the people of Jerusalem because they had rebelled against him again. He had taken them captive from Pharaoh Necho. Um, Pharaoh Necho had destroyed them. And then he had taken them captive immediately following that. They had then promptly rebelled against them and he had taken them captive a second time and now they had rebelled again and he was a very wealthy man, a very powerful man. <coughs> and he didn't have time to keep messing with these people. Besides, these people were what they were the poor of the land that had been left these guys weren't even really worth his time and to go back to Jerusalem there was a little bit of, there was a lot of brass left he could get but he'd already gotten all the gold so odds are that Nebuchadnezzar would not be interested in going back to Jerusalem again a third time and maybe these people were banking on their poverty to keep Nebuchadnezzar from coming their way there were other countries to conquer other places to expand the empire it really didn't make sense for Nebuchadnezzar to come and trouble himself with little Israel again, but they misfactored something in their equation. They didn't think of his pride. Nebuchadnezzar was a very proud man. And that day, far away from Israel, the Bible says he was at a place where two ways met. And it, over in Israel, you've got the people out there, and they're tending their vineyards, and they're tending their, uh, they're out there in their fields getting their um, stuff ready for the harvest that's coming. They're trying to get the crops ready. Maybe they woke up and they ate their breakfast and they were not thinking about Nebuchadnezzar much. And they weren't too much worried about Nebuchadnezzar, but somewhere hundreds of miles away, Nebuchadnezzar was sitting at a, at a junction. He was sitting at a place where he could go towards Israel or he could go towards another country that he wanted to take. 
So here is Nebuchadnezzar with two choices. All of his magicians and his diviners had, had cut open their little animals that they would use for divination, and they looked inside the guts, and they did all this kind of stuff, and they looked at the stars and which stars were over here and which stars, and they looked at all these things that can't help anybody anyway. anyway it's a bunch of witchcraft and astrology, and they said, Nebuchadnezzar, you need to go that way. And Nebuchadnezzar said, you know what, guys? We're going this way. The king of of Babylon set himself against Jerusalem this same day. You know, here in America, there's people everywhere that are living their lives. They get up, they go to work, they get up and go about their everyday life. They take the kids to daycare. They take the kids to school. They go and they uh, buy that boat that they wanted. They go buy that new motorcycle they wanted. They're busy, busy, busy about their lives. And maybe they don't even know, maybe today, what God has set in the judgment of this land. The Jews there, they didn't know. There were no TVs. There were no news anchors. You couldn't go and get CNN's take on Nebuchadnezzar's big decision. There were, there were no newspapers to get. Um, not like we would have today. They had other posts that they would send out, but not like we have today. And they didn't know Nebuchadnezzar had set himself to come to Jerusalem. They didn't know that in just a few months, they would be scraping together dove's dung, bird dung. That means bird poop they'd be scraping together to sell it in the streets of Jerusalem that they'd be starving to death that they'd be dying of thirst that they would be dying of sicknesses as pestilence swept through their city. They didn't know that the walls would be broken down in just a year or two. They didn't know that the great brazen pillars would be broken down. The prophets had prophesied of it. God's prophets had, but their nation was full of false prophets. And the false prophets were prophesying peace, peace. They were saying peace to everyone when there was no peace. They were prophesying smooth things to the people that didn't want to hear bad things. They didn't want to hear the potential of the bad news of God's judgment. So they went right by God's prophets and they went on to the false prophets and they got their peace and safety, peace and safety. And they ignored the warnings of God's men and God's word that their sin was going to find them out and that they were going to be judged for the sin that they had committed. We're talking today about setting your destiny. Now, again, you set a ball down on a side of a hill, it rolls downhill. This is more like setting concrete. I don't know how many here have actually helped with concrete. I've helped with concrete before. My grandpa was a concrete man. And when the concrete begins to set up before they're ready, they call it blowing up. Now it doesn't blow up like a bulb, but what it does is it sets up in the wrong shape. It's not smooth. It's not flat. And then you have rock hard concrete that has to be broken out so that they can pour new concrete. It is a concrete man's nightmare for the concrete to blow up on him and to set up before it's ready. We're talking about setting your destiny. A lot of talk in this world about destiny. A lot of talk about uh, what can control your destiny. The yin and the yang are real popular in America right now. Talking about karma and all this Eastern mysticism, where if you do a good thing, it's going to come back to you. And, and we talk about all this, and people like to get philosophically into shatter points. What are shatter points? I'm not going to get into a whole bunch of it. I don't read a whole lot about it. I've interacted with a little bit of it years ago. 
And basically the idea is that whenever a butterfly flaps its wings on one side of the Pacific Ocean, that changes the air patterns just a little bit, and that might bump this air, that might bump that air molecule, and that might, and the cause and effect of little things happening can turn into big things until there's a tidal wave that hits Japan. And thousands of people die. And if you could trace it back through all the little tiny details, it would all go back to a butterfly flapping its wings. That's the idea of shatter points. All that kind of stuff that people try and figure out what sets, what ca- what makes cause and effect happen. And the little decisions that we make that affect big decisions down the road, a lot of times people talk about those as that kind of thing. And they philosophically try and, and try and get a mind wrapped around it. By the way, if you can figure out how to, how to, make those little decisions that would make people millionaires, you'd be in Forbes tomorrow. They'd be interviewing you at the Forbes magazine and all the big hotshot moneymakers in the world would be reading your article about how to make your millions of dollars through your little things that you do today. But in life... In life, the reality is that the little decisions that we make every day do affect our tomorrow. In fact, the little decisions that you are making today are the foundation stones of your tomorrow. What your tomorrow will look like is being determined today. How many of you knew that already? What will your tomorrow look like? Will you be sitting on a park bench eating some ice cream and watching the birds as they fly through the air? Or will you be scraping muck in the streets of a slum somewhere trying to make enough money to just live? You say, well, I don't know. and you, I better buy insurance. That's Americans' answer to the whole thing is just get more insurance so that when stuff does go bad that you can still go through it without having any kind of a hiccup. But what is what is determining your tomorrow? You don't wake up tomorrow. Listen, you don't wake up tomorrow and decide everything in your life for that day. Your decisions have been made day and day and day before, days before you get to tomorrow. When you finally get to tomorrow, you are going to do tomorrow. Tomorrow, what you have set up for days and days and days and weeks and months and maybe years. This is we're talking again about setting your destiny. Here in the Bible in Ezekiel 24, the children of Israel had been disobeying God, disobeying God, disobeying God, disobeying God, and finally Nebuchadnezzar decided, I'm going after Jerusalem. You'll find out if you read the prophets later that they would call days of fasting, that they would have days of prayer, but they would never really repented. They never really turned back to God. They continued their idolatry. They continued in their onward march to hell. And what they never realized was that they had already set their destiny. The Bible says, if I regard iniquity in my heart, the Lord will not hear me. If I regard iniquity in my heart, the Lord will not hear me. You sit there and you think about sin 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 and and one day you're going to wake up and do the sin you thought about. You say, no, I would never do that. Yes, you would do that because you keep thinking about it. These women, they sit at home watching these soap operas and somebody's leaving somebody. Here goes uh, a lady, leaves her husband, goes to another man and they go together for a couple of years and then she leaves that, her boyfriend, and goes to another one and they watch all this trash and they get on all these, on all these movies. They watch all these sitcoms. They watch all the, and they read all these novels where 
People are breaking up where they leave their husband and find their, their high school sweetheart from years ago and it's all glowing and sparkling and they're off in Cancun or they're off in the Bahamas and, and doing all this immorality and it's so fun and they watch all these movies and, oh, I would never do that to my husband. I just like the story. And then all of a sudden, someday they do it. I don't know why I'm leaving you, honey. I don't know why I, I love you, but I never thought it would come to this. And their tears are down. I just, I just, I just don't love you anymore. I don't love you like I used to love you. The problem is they set themselves days and months and years before they set themselves in a thing that is not good. And you can do that. By the way, a lot of times when judgment is set by God, the people who are being judged do not know that judgment is set. You think of Noah. God told Noah, I'm going to destroy this earth with a flood. And it was 100 years before God did it, but it was already set. It was not only set, it was announced. It was not only announced, it was scheduled. And the time was exact and the time was final. Noah had blueprints for a world flood boat that would go through the flood. And all those people could have gone to Noah and said, we want to repent. We want to get right with God. What can we do? And he could have shared the prince with them and they could have made their own arcs. Now, I know that would have messed with the typology because the ark is the only way Jesus Christ. What I'm telling you is there was time to get on Noah's ark. There was time to make another ark. There was time to change the direction that they were going, but they didn't do it because they were already set in their ways and the judgment was set against them. Nebuchadnezzar was coming and the nation of Israel didn't even know about it. They just went on with their lives and they didn't know it was a few months to total misery. What about you today? What about you today? I remember when I was a young man, I went up to this music college and there was a big conference that they were having. It was the Majesty Music there up in Indiana. And we went up there to do their choir. They had a choir workshops and our church choir went up there to do it, take part of that. And when I got there, I was unattached, a young man, nobody in my life. I was uh, not even looking to get married. And here came this girl, and she was pretty, and she liked me a lot. And you say, oh, you're just talking. Well, all my buddies said that too until they saw how she was actually responding to me. And then they're saying, whoa, get her phone number, get her phone number. You got to get to know this girl. And I wrestled back and forth about this whole thing. And the last day, I knew in my heart God didn't want me to do that. I hadn't even gotten to know her at all. I'd just been waiting. I'd prayed about it some. Here, She was a good girl. She was with a church group. Things possibly could work out. Maybe this is the one for me to marry. Maybe this could be my wife. And on that last day, I was standing there as we were gathering to get in our vans, and I could see her over there with her church group, and she was literally standing there staring at me, waiting on me to come over and say something to her to get her phone number so that we could talk and get to know each other. My buddies were about to fall over on the floor and they were shoving me and they were punching me in the shoulder as, as buddies do, as guys do and saying, go, 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 go get her. And I said, and I just find that shit. I said, no, it wasn't because she was bad. 
It wasn't because, but I, it was just, I didn't have peace. It wasn't, it wasn't God's will for my life. And I got in the van and I drove away. I don't know who she is. I don't know what her number is. I don't know what she ever did in her life. If I had gone for her, it would have changed my life because only about a month or two later, God told me to marry the woman that, that is now my wife, that has been my companion all these years and that I desperately needed to be my wife. Who knows how my life would have changed. I didn't know that I was at what some people would call a shatter point. I didn't know that I was at a life-changing point, that if I went one way, it would change everything in my destiny, but I was there. Look at me today. Especially you young people, every day is setting the course for your entire future. Every decision that you make is put is building the foundation for your entire future. Go to Galatians chapter 6. Let's look at some ways that we can set our future for evil. Galatians chapter 6. And we're not going to stay totally to that. We'll look at some ways we can set our future for good and to follow God next. Galatians chapter 6 and verse 7 Here's a warning in Galatians 6 verse 7. Be not deceived. God is not mocked. Whatsoever a man soweth, that shall he also reap. For he that soweth to his flesh shall of the flesh reap corruption. But he that soweth to the spirit shall of the spirit reap life everlasting. And then he goes on into what we'll tie into later. Let us not be weary in well-doing for in due season we shall reap if we faint not. But let's focus on that of sowing to the flesh there. He says, if you sow to the flesh, you will of the flesh reap corruption. This is a principle that the Buddhists understand. This is a principle that the Hindus understand. This is a principle that most people in the world understand except Christians who believe a prosperity gospel that think that just because they're so-called saved and just because they've gone forward and prayed a prayer that everything's going to be roses the rest of their life and that ain't true. You reap what you sow. When you sow to the flesh corruption, you reap of the flesh corruption. Now there is mercy with God. Praise God for that. Praise God I haven't reaped the full depth and magnitude of what I've sowed. We'll get to that in just a little bit. How you can prevent the harvest. And there is a way to prevent some of the harvest. We'll get to that in just a minute. But the fact of the matter is, if you sow to the flesh, you will of the flesh reap corruption. How many here today want a yard full of thistles and thorns? You can go out in your yard and you can sow thorns. Are you going to get banana trees? No. Are you going to get apple trees? No, you're going to get thorns in your yard. And when you go out in your yard, you're going to get poked with thorns and you're going to get cut by thorns. And it's going to take work to get the thorns out, isn't it? And we'll talk about that later. But if you sow to the flesh, you'll of the flesh reap corruption. Go to Galatians chapter 5. Galatians chapter 5, just a page back, verse 16. This I say then, walk in the Spirit, and ye shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. For the flesh lusteth against the Spirit, and the Spirit against the flesh. And these are contrary, the one to the other, so that ye cannot do the things that ye would. But if ye be led of the Spirit, ye are not under the law. Now the works of the flesh are manifest, which are these. Follow along here. 
adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lasciviousness, idolatry, witchcraft, hatred, variance, emulations, wrath, strifes, sedition, strife that is, seditions, heresies, envies, murders, drunkenness, revelings, and such like, of the which I tell you before, as I have also told you in time past, that they which do such things shall not inherit the kingdom of God. Now he goes on with the fruit of the spirit. We're not going to get into that right now. Remind me, we'll try and get back to that later. Here in Galatians 5, you have these works of the flesh, these fruits of the flesh. The works of the flesh are manifest, and he tells us all these wicked things. Now, these wicked things, these works of the flesh, are born in daily soft choices, daily lack of discipline, daily lack of following Christ, daily indulgence in a little bit of sin. What little child ever woke up in sixth grade or fifth grade and said, I want to grow up to be a serial killer? Did anybody ever do that? You go, you can go back and you can study the lives. I don't even like to talk about morbid of some of these mass killers out here in the world. Some of these wicked men that are famous for their wickedness and their, and their vile murder of hundreds or dozens of people. Um, axe murderers, uh, these, I forget what's, what's the phrase that they use for a murderer like that serial killer, these serial killers, what little fifth grader woke up and just said, Oh, look at that. The sun's shining and the birds flying through the trees. I just want to grow up and start killing people brutally and splatter their blood all over the place. Nobody is like that as a little kid. Maybe I'm wrong. Maybe there's somebody out there that that's, messed, that's that messed up. But in general, most of your little kids, they want to grow up and be a firefighter or a police officer or a soldier or an astronaut or the president of the United States or something like that. Kids have these big dreams, and that's a good thing. Kids want to be good things. Sometimes you meet a kid, oh, I want to be a veterinarian. I want to be a doctor. They want to be all these good things. But did you know that the decisions that you make today are the foundations for the rest of your life? You say, well, I want to grow up and be a doctor. Did you know that you will not be a doctor unless you work hard in your school today? Did you know that if you do not do your school today and work hard in your school today and you flunk your school today, you will not be a doctor tomorrow? But the decisions are a lot deeper than that. The decisions are a lot bigger than that. Did you know that if you neglect your Bible today, tomorrow you may be an infidel. You may grow up and say, I don't believe any of it. I don't see any of that in the Bible. I don't really believe that that book's from God. How do people get that way? How come a little boy, look at me up here, little boy. How come a little boy can grow up in a preacher's house, hearing the word of God, going to church, doing everything right, being taught the Bible, memorizing scripture, go to Christian school school or be homeschooled and taught the Bible and they're not taught a bunch of lies and they grow up and at 18, 19, 20 years of age, all of a sudden they don't want anything to do with God. How can a man go to church for 20 years with his wife and family and then one day just walk away from it all and go live in a life of sin? The decisions you make today are the foundations for your life tomorrow and you are setting yourself today. In the start of our text, we looked at how Nebuchadnezzar set himself to go towards Jerusalem. And we talked about how God set judgment against Jerusalem. So you have the two things happening, Nebuchadnezzar setting himself and God setting Nebuchadnezzar, setting the judgment. And you can do that to yourself. 
You neglect the word of God. You neglect applying the word of God to yourself. You sit there and read the word of God so that you can win the competition for most scripture read. You sit there and read the word of God, memorize Bible verses so that you can get the little uh, little prizes at your Christian school, but you're not applying the scriptures to yourself. You're doing it for fame. You're doing it for personal glory. You're doing it to exalt yourself. Then all of that's going to backfire on you someday. Do you hear me today? It's going to backfire on you someday. The day will come whenever all your good that you've ever done means nothing to you because it never did mean anything to you. If you do not apply yourself to the word of God and apply the word of God to yourself and seek the Lord with all of your heart, you will drift away from him. We're talking about setting your destiny today. Galatians 2 and verse 18. Galatians 2 and verse 18. Here Paul says, For if I build again the things which I destroyed, I make myself a transgressor. Somebody can come in off the street and they're a wicked person. They get saved, born again by the power of God. They're going to church and everything's going good. And then all of a sudden they blow out. What happened? Here Paul describes it. He says, If I build again the things which I destroyed, I make myself a transgressor. You let a little bit of that sin back in, a little bit of that sin back in, a little excuse for the sin here, get a little closer to sin there, and all of a sudden it's got you back in its grips. This is how it works. Go to Psalms 36. You see, life is a series of days. How many of you have that one figured out already? Life happens one day at a time, and days happen one hour at a time, and hours happen one minute at a time. And most things in life don't happen instantaneously, and any most things that do happen instantaneously are usually not good. But for something good to happen in your life, it takes time. It takes minutes. It takes hours. It takes days of commitment to truth, of following God to build a life that counts for Christ. And we'll talk about that more in just a little while. But in the meantime, what about a life that counts for the devil? What about a life that's on its way to hell? How many of you here today want to live the rest of your life for the devil? Let me see your hands. Nobody here, I'm glad that nobody here wants to do that. But did you know that if you go on all loosey-goosey about your life and just whatever will be, will be, and you don't apply yourself to the word of God and seek the Lord with all your heart, you're going to live your life for the devil. It's the natural course of action and it takes day after day after day of seeking and following the Lord and saying no to your flesh to build a life that counts for Christ. You might say, well, how does the Holy Spirit factor into all this? We'll talk about that here in just a minute. Psalms 36 and verse 4 is speaking about a wicked man. He deviseth mischief upon his bed. He setteth himself in a way that is not good. He lays there on his bed at night thinking about the wicked things that he's going to do. And the Bible says he setteth himself in a way that is not good. Did you know that the things that you meditate on while you go to sleep are the things that you will do the next day? A little boy sits there thinking about the other little boy at school that has gotten in front of him at the lunch line four days in a row, and he's trying to think how he can beat him. And he, but he knows he sits in the back of the class, and that little boy sits in the front of the class. And when they say lunchtime, that little boy has about a twenty-foot head start on the lunch line, and he always gets there first. And that little boy's ready to do something about it, so he hatches a plot and he tries and he gets a bathroom pass right before lunchtime starts and he goes out in the hallway and he pretends to go to the bathroom and right as they call lunch he goes running out of the bathroom to get to the front of the line you say what's so bad about that 
Nothing's very bad about that. But that little decision to um, cheat and maybe be a little deceptive when he didn't really need to go to the bathroom, that little decision to be deceptive in that little thing grows. And by the way, he keeps the animosity keeps growing and he keeps thinking about it, meditating on that little boy, beating him. And pretty soon the teacher finds out what he's doing and won't let him go to the bathroom right before lunch. So he keeps getting more and more animosity building in his heart towards that boy until all of a sudden he trips the boy. And the next thing you know, he's in a fight with the boy and nobody knows why he doesn't like the boy. And it's all over lunch and a lunch line. You say, that's ridiculous. It doesn't happen that way. It does happen that way. Little bitty decisions, the meditations on your heart as you go to sleep will build into the life that you live tomorrow. You say, well, what about a man leaving his wife? If he lays around in bed thinking about other women, he lays around in bed thinking about sin. He's been looking at dirty pictures on his phone and he's meditating on them and thinking about them. And he's laying there in bed thinking about all this wickedness. Tomorrow, he's going to act on it. Tomorrow, he's going to go for more of it. And little decisions day after day after day set you in a thing that is not good or they can set you in a thing that is good. Go to 1 Corinthians chapter 10. 1 Corinthians chapter 10. This is more of a topical message today than it is than how we've done it before, but this is what the Lord gave me and I'm going to preach it and I hope it helps somebody out there. You see, I've always wanted to get out of jail free pass from God. I always want to go and do the little things and enjoy a little bit of sin and when the really bad thing comes into my life that I could have avoided through discipline and reading my Bible and attending to the things of God, I want God to bail me out of the big thing and sometimes God is gracious and has done that, sometimes he makes me go through it. But in any case, here we've got today in 1 Corinthians 10, the temptation. He says here, moreover, brethren, I would not that you should be ignorant how that all our fathers were under the cloud and all passed through the sea and were all baptized unto Moses in the cloud and in the sea and did all drink, eat the same spiritual meat and did all drink the same spiritual drink for they drink of that spiritual rock that followed them and that rock was Christ. Here's all these people following God. Here's all these people people drinking water from the rock. We sing a song about that. All these people going through the Red Sea, but they see God do all these miracles in verse five. But with many of them, God was not well pleased for they were overthrown in the wilderness. Now these things were our examples to the intent we should not lust after evil things as they also lusted. What got these people? They saw big things for God. They saw the sea parted. They drank water from the rock. What got them? They lusted after things. Look at it. Now these things were our example to the intent we should not lust after evil things as they also lusted. Neither be ye idolaters as were some of them as it is written the people sat down to eat and drink and rose up to play. Neither let us commit fornication as some of them committed and fell in one day three and twenty thousand. Neither let us tempt Christ as some of them also tempted and were destroyed of serpents. Neither murmur ye as some of them also murmured and were destroyed of the destroyer. Now all these things happen unto them for in samples and they are written for our admonition upon whom the ends of the world are come. Wherefore let him that thinketh he standeth take heed lest he fall. He's saying watch out. Watch out. It happened to them. It can happen to you. (laughs) 
Right when you think you're you're invincible, that's whenever you're most vulnerable. Here these people are in the wilderness. They've seen the miracles of God. They'd come out of Egypt, a type of salvation. They'd been brought up through the Passover lamb, a type of salvation. They'd been brought through the Red Sea, a type of baptism, as it tells you right there, a type of it, not actual baptism. They were under the cloud with the sea on both sides, immersed. There they went down through that sea. They were drinking water from the rock, which is a type of reading your Bible. Of, of staying in the word of God, being washed in the water of the word every day they were in the word, but yet they fell. They fell because they had lusts. They fell because they had complaints. They fell because they had murmurings day in and day out, day in and day out. They let little sins command their life and the little sins turned into big sins and the big sins killed them. If you live after the flesh, you shall die. By the way, sin will always take you farther. It will always keep you longer and it will always cost you more than you ever imagined. Sin is a monster. Sin is awful. The devil is like a roaring lion. And if you think you can play with sin and get away with it, be not deceived. God is not mocked whatsoever man soweth that shall he also reap. Now here in 1 Corinthians 10 and verse 13, he says, there hath no temptation taken you, but such as is common to man. But God is faithful who will not suffer you to be tempted above that ye are able, but will with the temptation also make a way to escape that ye may be able to bear it. He will make a way of escape. Now, we like to quote this verse and plow on and live our life just like we did yesterday because we know God will always make a way of escape. Did you know that Joseph of the coat of many colors, if Joseph had been looking with lust day in and day out at all the servant girls around him, when Potiphar's wife grabbed him, he would not have stayed pure. You say, but there's a way of escape. There's a way of escape. There is a way of escape, but I want to give you a warning today and I want you to take it to your heart. The way of escape can be passed by before the temptation ever gets there. Did you know that a really good way of escape gets you out of the path of danger? How many of you want to be tied to the train tracks with the train coming and then the hero come rescue you right before the train comes and cuts you in half? Or how many of you would rather just not get tied to the tracks? If you'd rather not get tied to the tracks, raise your hand. Okay, we're at 100%. Did you know that God's ways of escape are often to just not get tied to the tracks? Did you know that God's ways are not our ways? God's not looking for a big climax where you nearly wreck your life and then get rescued at the last moment from the lion. God's not trying to, he doesn't need a big climax. God is God. He knows the end from the beginning. This ain't a show. This isn't a movie for the movie theater. We're not looking for the hero or the heroine to nearly die before they get rescued. Did you know God's not going to do that in the last days either? When Jesus comes back, it ain't going to be no show. It's, Jesus is just going to win. And he's going to win so strong there never was a stronger win. When Jesus comes back, his enemies are going to die before him. When that sword goes out of his mouth, it won't even be a contest. And that's how God wants you to live the Christian life. No contest. He wants you to live in victory. He wants you to live in power. But if you yield day in and day out to little sin, little decisions, little laziness, a little bit of this, a little bit of that, the day will come when your sin catches is up with you and you will be reckoned with and it won't be a good day. And then you'll do like I've done in my life and said, God, where was the way of escape? 
God, where was the way of escape? Do you know what God told me one day whenever I asked him that? He said it was a year ago. It was way back then and he showed me the way of escape that I missed in my pride because I thought I was standing. I thought I was doing good. I thought I could handle it. I thought I could deal with that little bit of compromise. I thought I could let that world into my home. I thought it wouldn't be a big deal and I walked right by the way of escape. You think about going down I-40 in America here. You go down I-40 through Tennessee, traffic from Nashville to Knoxville, nonstop traffic, nearly bumper to bumper from about 7 o'clock in the morning to about 6 o'clock at night. It's almost nothing but a traffic jam across I-40. One of the most awful places to go, especially when your air conditioner isn't working very good and you're on that hot road in the middle of Tennessee summer. It's a bad place to be stuck bumper to bumper traffic for hours as you get across there. And imagine yourself driving down that road and all of a sudden you see this exit and something inside's like, you need to get off and you ah, know we've got to get through and you keep driving on ask me how I came up with this illustration been there done that all of it you drive on and you go over one of those Tennessee hills and right as you crest the hill you can see three and a half miles of taillights in front of you and total dead stop traffic with with uh, 85 foot pine trees on both sides of the road nowhere to turn around And there you are, dead stop on the black asphalt in the middle of I-40, and you're stuck. You know, that's what we do with our way of escape. I think of a man that drove off a bridge, nearly died driving off the bridge. He'd missed the sign. He didn't see the sign. And he drove right by. How many people today are driving by their way of escape? How many people here are going right by the way of escape, just passing it right by and not even taking any heed to it, not even paying attention, and God's offering them a way of escape? Young people here today, I'm telling you, there are things in your life that you don't even know how bad it can get if you get out of your Bible and get out of church and get away from God, and God has given you a way of escape. He's given you a way of escape today from things that never need to come into your life tomorrow. There are sins tomorrow that you don't even want to know about that you will commit and you will be shocked at what you do if you get out of this book and get away from this Bible. God has given you a way of escape. You need to use your way of escape. Get in the Bible. Get in the Word of God. Seek Him with all your heart. Don't let bitterness in your heart. Don't let sin in your heart. Watch out for what you're thinking about while you go to sleep at night. That is probably one of the biggest single things I can tell you because what you go to sleep thinking about is what you do the next day. If you let your mind wander, if you think about immorality while you're going to sleep, you will be immoral the next day, all day, unless God intervenes in a big way. You've got to keep your heart. The Bible says, keep thy heart with all diligence. Have you passed the exit? Is the bridge out? Have you gone off the bridge? Where are you at today? We'll look at some answers to those of you that have missed the exit, those of you that have gone off the bridge, and there's help for you, and we'll get there in just a second. I want to give you just a few more verses here Um, in 1 Corinthians 10, verse 14 there, right after saying there's a way of escape, he says, Wherefore, my dearly beloved, flee from idolatry. Run away from idolatry. There is a way of escape. Run away from it as soon as you see it. And don't let anywhere near you. He also tells Timothy in 1 Timothy 6, 11, 
O man of God, flee these things, talking about covetousness and the love of money. He says in 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 22, flee also youthful lusts. Flee youthful lusts, run away. The way of escape is when you first encounter the sin. The first time your eyes are open, you stick in that Bible, there'll be sins you escape you never even knew you escaped. Do you hear me? That's the escape I like. You stay in that Bible, you stay with God, there'll be sins you escape you never even knew were sins that you could have done. You'll just go right by those sins. Instead of missing your way of escape, you'll miss the sins. But there will be sins that come into your life. Do you hear me, young man? Look at me right here. There will be sins that will come in your life. There will be times whenever you see something you know you shouldn't look at and you have to make a decision. The Bible says flee youthful lust. Your way of escape is now. It's now. And it might be never if you don't take it now. Just because God said there's a way of escape doesn't mean that you can escape later. Do you hear me? This was like a revelation to this sinning man. This was a revelation to me. I thought that God had an obligation to get me out of trouble every time I hollered. And I found out that that ain't true at all. God gives you a way of escape and if you pass your way of escape and you go on down that road and you don't care and you don't follow God, the reality is that God may leave you in your sin to wallow in it for a season. I'm telling you, the way of escape is now. Get out of sin. Get away from sin. Flee idolatry. Flee youthful lusts. Flee the love of money. You say, how do I flee the love of money? Give to missionaries. Find a missionary somewhere and give them. If you feel that money starting to get its tentacles wrapped around your heart and its vines all wrapped around your heart, start giving it away to God's work as fast as you can. Find a missionary somewhere and give him some. You say, how do I flee youthful lusts? When that girl winks at you, you run like an idiot. And you go, man, that'll make me look stupid. Yeah, and it'll save your life from sin. It's humbling to run. You want to kind of walk away nonchalant, keeping that manly swagger going. Why? So that she'll wink at you later. That's why. You know if you run like an idiot, she probably will never wink at you again. That's the whole point. Flee immorality. We got to keep moving. So some of you got in the ditch. Some of you already went over the bridge. Some of you have passed the exit and you're in the bumper to bumper traffic. Dead stop with God. You can't get anywhere and you're not getting anywhere. I've got news for you today. Revelation 319. We're living in the days of Laodicea. We're living in days like under the days of Noah. We're living in days where there's so much sin everywhere that the best people that I know that follow God have scars on them from sins that our forefathers would be, would be throwing up. And I'm not exaggerating. Throwing up to think of. Sins that our forefathers would literally vomit if they saw what we had seen and become accustomed to, they would vomit. And we're having to see it that in these evil days pushed in front of our eyes by the wicked. Revelation 3.19 tells the church at Laodicea, As many as I love, I rebuke and chasten. Be zealous, therefore, and repent. Repent is an aligning of my heart with God's heart. Repent, some people say, is turning, and there is truth 
in that, but what are you turning? Are you turning over a new leaf? No. You can't, you, you, listen, if repentance means making your life better, then all of a sudden repentance is works-based salvation, and we know that's not true, and we know repentance is biblical, so we've got to find a definition that fits with the Bible instead of throwing out repentance, okay? Follow? Copy? So repentance then is aligning my heart with God's heart, agreeing with God about my sin. Repentance is a heart turn that will result, if it's a true heart turn, it will result in a physical turning away from sin down the road. Because the heart has turned. It's like a compass. When you hold that compass up and you and you see the direction true north is and you set your map, you have your map there and you set your compass and you turn the dial and you set your heading the way that you want to go, but you haven't gotten to the destination yet, but you have set the compass and you take a step in that direction, that is repentance. That is what repentance is. Repentance is not getting to the end of the goal. Repentance is setting your heart towards God and stepping his direction away from sin in your heart and in your body. That's why repentance, that's why so often an altar is so important at a church because somebody turns their heart towards God and when they take that step out of the aisle and they go down to that altar, sometimes that step is what they really needed to set them in the right direction and God sees their humility and their repentance and he hears from heaven and he gives them another way. Now, if every time you missed your way of escape, that was it, and you were over, or you lost your salvation or something, this guy, this preacher, would be out of a job with God. This preacher would be in a gutter. This preacher would be gone. I've missed so many exits. I've committed so many sins. I've done so many things I wish I'd never done that I can't even tell you about them. I'd be ashamed and blushed to tell you a fraction of them. I'd probably be standing here weeping and all day long trying to tell you all my sins. I thank God I don't need to. There's one God and one mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus. And he's the only one you've got to confess your sins to. And Christians, if you confess your sins, the Bible says he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So you missed the exit. So you went off the bridge. So your life is a wreck. What you've got to do is repent. What you've got to do is get your heart right with God. What you've got to do is purpose in your heart that from this day forward, you will serve God and then do it. Forgetting the things which are behind and pressing on to the things which are before you go from this day right now this is all you've got you can't go back you can't do yesterday again so you take today you say well my family's broken up I've been divorced my children are gone I've got nothing left you go today and you follow God today and you don't stop following God you follow him from today you get your Bible out read your Bible get back in church follow God do the things he says in the book Keep yourself from evil. Start today and do the best you can do for God with God's power today. Go to Psalm 63. Have a couple verses here in Psalms we're going to look at. We're getting close to the end here. Psalm 63. In verse 1. O God, thou art my God. Early will I seek thee. My soul thirsteth for thee. My flesh longeth for thee in a dry and thirsty land where no water is. 
This is the start of the true Christian life of victory. This is how you set your destiny. Remember, we're talking about setting your destiny. This is how you set your destiny. We talked about the guys that went off the bridge. And they need to set their destiny going forward. But how do you today set your destiny for good? How do you set your future in stone for good? Early will I seek thee. O God, thou art my God. Early will I seek thee. My, my soul thirsteth for thee. My flesh longeth for thee in a dry and thirsty land where no water is. You've got to walk with God. You've got to want God. You've got to love God. Listen up here and pay attention, you young folks. If you just read your Bible because mom and dad say I've got to, you have to read your Bible, it will not help you. If you just memorize your verses because you have to memorize your verses, it will not help you. But if you will apply your heart to seek after God, if you will make the decision yourself, if I can convince you through the word of God with the help of the Holy Spirit of God to this day, you decide for yourself that you want God. And then you seek God, rise early, get in the Bible, never let anything come between you and God, never let a job, never let a person, never even let your spouse come between you and God. You can't love your spouse right if you don't love God first anyway. And you get up and you read your Bible and you seek God's face and you apply it to yourself. This is how you set your destiny for a life of usefulness to God. Set yourself in a thing that's good. Go to Psalms 92, verse 13. Meditate on the word of God while you go to sleep. You say, that's hard. When I start to fall asleep, my mind wanders. Mine too. But it will set you in the way of God. If you will meditate on the word of God while you're going to sleep, do you know what you'll be inclined towards in the morning? The ways of God. Do you know what you'll do? We already talked about it. If you think about things that are ungodly all night while you're going to sleep or foolish or frivolous, one of the worst mistakes you can make is watch a movie or TV right up until it's time to go to sleep and fall asleep. Fall asleep thinking about movies and TV. Fall asleep thinking about Facebook. Fall asleep thinking about the stock market. Fall asleep thinking about home improvements. Fall asleep making plans for work. What you're doing is robbing yourself of time that God wants, the special time that God wants with you. Did you know you're really not gonna, your business is really not going to actually get any better while you're sleeping, but your spirit can? If you will go to sleep thinking about the things of God, there's no, no nails are going to go in the boards to put that house up while you're asleep. Nobody's going to be punching numbers on the computer and getting the accounting all straightened out while you're asleep or you're not for sure. But did you know that if you go to sleep meditating on the things of God, your heart will be inclined towards God and inclining towards God. And if you rise early in the morning with a desire to seek God and you read the Bible and pray and spend time with God, that throughout the day, your spirit will be growing. Your spirit will be stronger. Psalm 92 verse 13 He says here, those that be planted in the house of the Lord shall flourish in the courts of our God. They shall still bring forth fruit in old age. They shall be fat and flourishing. Say, preacher, why'd you bring that up? Uh, This is telling you to stay in church. These guys, they tell me, I don't need church. I've been saved 40 years. I can worship God just as good at the lake. A liar. 
The Bible says we know that we've passed from death unto life because we love the brethren. It says if you say you love God whom you cannot see and you love not your brother who you can see, you are a liar. These guys say they can do that, probably ain't even saved. If they don't, if that's all they care about, they'd rather every Sunday be out there fishing on the lake and they don't have any time or use for church. I don't got any use for church. You know, God has a use for the church. God loves the church. Christ gave himself for the church. People who don't love the church, they, they worry me. They tell me they're saved and they don't love the church. They're either so far backslid, God's about to bust them hard, or they're lost as a goose in a blizzard. So here it says, those that be planted in the house of the Lord shall flourish in the courts of our God. They shall still bring forth fruit in old age. They shall be fat and flourishing. You want to have a life that counts for God? You want to set yourself in the things that are good? Get in a good Bible-believing church that preaches the word of God. Submit to the pastor who has watch over your soul. You say, there ain't one in our area. Pray for God to get one fast and pray hardcore until you get one or move. I'm serious. Don't you sit and live in a city without a church and go on about your life like you're going to make it because you're not. God designed Christians to gather together, to assemble together. He said, forsake not the assembling of yourselves together as the manner of some is. You either pray in a church and a pastor, fast and pray and seek God with all your heart until God sends a church and a pastor, or you move to somewhere where there is one, but you don't sit there and stay there or you're toast. You can only last so long by yourself. So how do you set yourself, set your destiny for God? Stay in church. Don't get out of church. You say, preacher, this is really basic. I got this in Sunday school growing up. It is really basic. You say, preacher, all you've said today is read your Bible and go to church. Yes, sir. That's right. There's that little children's song, read your Bible, pray every day and you'll grow. Grow, grow. It says if you neglect it, you'll shrink, shrink, shrink. And you'll shrink, shrink, shrink. And we laugh about those things. You know, a lot of times our little Sunday school classes for three-year-olds, if we would just go back to the truth that was taught in those classes, that we would be miles ahead of where we are today. Read your Bible. Seek God yourself. Pray to God. Get in church. Stay in church. You'll be fruitful. You'll have a life that counts for God. Get out of there, neglect those things, and you're going to pass your way of escape, and you're going to be down in the ditch. You're going to be over the bridge that was out. You're going to be upside down in your broken car in the bottom of a creek somewhere spiritually. The devil's going to shred you. He's going to rip you from your guts out all over the ground and chew on them in front of your face. If you don't get back to the basics, turn your heart towards God, set your destiny for good, set yourself in a way that is good. You know, you don't become a giant for Christ overnight. You know, what about Charles Finney and all these guys, Charles Finney, he got saved and that day about eight people came to Christ and it just picked up speed for nine years. You can say what you want about them and you can hate on them if you want to, but God used them mightily. God used him mightily. And yeah, he had flaws just like the rest of us. God used him mightily. That's a rare case. Most of us people, most of us normal people, we've just got to get up and brush our teeth, put some clothes on and sit down and read our Bibles and then go about our normal life if we're going to make it. And that's all I'm asking you to do today. Go to 1 Corinthians 15 and we'll close. 
as we go there, we're going to bring in here the power of the Holy Spirit of God into the discussion, and we want to bring in the sovereignty of God, which means that God reigns. That's all that means, is that God is in control and He reigns. As you go into 1 Corinthians 15, here in 1 Corinthians 15, it talks about the resurrection of the dead, that God is going to raise us from the dead. And this is because God is all-powerful and God is in control. We talked about being in that ditch. God can pick you up out of that ditch. God has done that for me. God can get you out of that road and that bumper-to-bumper traffic spiritually where you're going nowhere for God and you're just stuck in limbo and you can't even do anything because of your own stupidity and because you haven't obeyed the things that God sent you to do. God can pick you up and take you out of there. And you should cry and squall like a little bull calf that gets separated from his mama cow whenever you find yourself in that situation you say that's undignified I don't care you should do it anyway one preacher one time he flopped on the floor at his church and he said it doesn't make any difference to flop and bawl and holler yes it does I respectfully disagree that guy made a spectacle there saying you can bow your knee and say three words God help me and get just as far as you can flopping and bawling and squalling and I respectfully disagree The Bible says, I cried unto the Lord with my voice, and he heard me from his holy hill. To cry is to lift up your voice and shout. And there's power in crying out. And there's a time to bawl and a time to squall and a time to holler, God, help me. God, get me out of this mess. God, I'm in trouble. And you go and read the Psalms. You read about how they get in trouble and they call to God. And yeah, we talk about it and we preach it down. And if you only pray when you're in trouble, you're going to be in trouble. That's a fact. But when you get in trouble, you ought to pray. And don't be so proud that you're sitting there in the bottom of the ditch and say, well, God, I got myself in this problem. I'll just get myself out. You'll be in that ditch the rest of your life. You can't get out of that ditch. You better start crying out, God, help me. God, I was stupid. God, and don't say this, I'll never do it again, because you probably will. But say, God, with your help, I don't want to do it again. I want to follow you, God, and beg and squall and bawl like a bull calf separated from his mama cow. And you keep hollering for God and crying out to God till he rescues you. I praise God we still have a God that rescues. We still have a God that delivers. We still have a God that can take you up out of the pit and set your feet upon a rock and establish your goings. I praise God I haven't had to reap everything I've ever sowed. By the way, you say I've sowed a whole lot of sin and I've got a bumper crop of iniquity coming up in my life. What do you do? You get to weeding. You get to weeding. You don't sit there and say, well, I sowed it, so I got to reap it. You go to reaping before it comes to head. Do you hear me today? You get your sickle out and you start cutting those thistles down. And then you get that cultivator out and you run it over that ground. And then you get that plow out and you dig down deep. And then you get in there and you pick rocks out. And then you get in there and you rip the roots out and you throw them over the fence in a pile and burn them. And then you start sowing good seed in that field. Get to work sowing that good seed. You say, how do I do that? Repentance and adhesion to the Bible. Stick to the Bible. Get in the word of God. Plow out the sin. Repent of it. Throw it out of your heart. Did you know you don't have to wait on your crop to grow up and go to seed? Did you know that today? That was a revelation to me too. The devil would tell me, ah, you already did this. There's no hope in stopping now. It's going to come to fruit. It's going to come whatsoever you sow, that shall you also reap. You might as well enjoy it because you're going to have to live with it. That's a lie from hell. 
You can repent today. You can rip that trash out of your heart today. When those dirty images come in your mind from that thing you looked at you never should have looked at, you say, no, I'm not going to do that. And you trash it in your mind by the grace of God. And you quote scripture over the top of it. And you fight against it. And you resist that sin. And you rip it out of your heart with the Bible. You lay there and you try and go to sleep and wicked thoughts come to your mind. Get out of your bed. Drop on your knees. Get your Bible out. You say, I'm tired. I got to go to work in the morning. Do you want to go to work and sin more against God and sow more sin in your life? Or do you want to go to work right with God? Get your Bible out. Get that old gospel plow out and get it to work in your heart. You don't have to keep the seeds in your field. You will reap what you sow, but God has made means for you to weed your field. If you let it go and grow, you will reap it. But did you know that God is full of mercy and long-suffering? Think about Nineveh, how God took those people and they repented and God spared their city. Think about how God did that over and over and over again. If you will get right with God, you don't have to reap what you sowed. Somebody out there is going to say, oh, now you're preaching the grace of God unto lasciviousness. People are going to take this and run with it. That doesn't work and it won't work. If you have any idea, if people that talk like that probably don't even know God half the time. Listen to me. If you know what work it is to rip weeds out of your garden, if you've ever had to weed a garden sowed in sin, it'll make you hate sin and it'll make you want to stay away from sin worse than reaping ever would. Now, finally, the sovereignty of God in this whole thing is that God is able to deliver you because he can say the word and you'll be healed. But do you remember the man that he healed? And he said, sin no more, lest a worse thing come upon you. So God can take you out of this situation. We talk about setting your destiny, but God is in control of everything and he's in control of your life and he can change your life with the drop of a hat. He can change your life with one word that comes out of his mouth because he is sovereign and he is in control. So as we talk about this, I want you to thank God for grace and I want your eyes to be on God and I don't want it to be on you. The last thing I want you to get from this message is that you've got to discipline yourself into being a super Christian because it'll never work. You need the power of the Holy Spirit of God in your life. The Bible says, walk in the spirit and ye shall not fulfill the lusts of the flesh. If we live after the spirit, let us also walk after the spirit. There is therefore now no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus, who walk not after the flesh, but after the spirit. He says, if ye live after the flesh, ye shall die. But if ye through the deeds of, if ye... But if ye, I'm going to have to turn to it. If ye live after the spirit flesh, ye shall die. But if ye through the spirit do mortify the deeds of the body, ye shall live. It's got to be through the Spirit of God. As you read your Bible and seek God, you ask Him, Holy Spirit of God, please fill me. Holy Spirit of God, please teach me your word. Holy Spirit of God, please give me the power and the desire, which is grace. Give me the power and the desire to follow you. Help me to love you more. Show me my sin. Expose it to me so that I can get it out of my heart. Show me how I've offended you so that I can change. Lord, if there's anything in my home, anything in my belongings that you don't like that offends you, Father, just show me. I'll get it out. I'll quit. I'll get it away from me. And you depend on the Holy Spirit of God for the power to do it. And then you do your part. 
You read that Bible like crazy. Stay in church. Set yourself in a way that is good and trust God. 1 Corinthians 15. I lost my place when I turned to Romans. 1 Corinthians 15 says, Therefore, verse 58, Therefore, my beloved brethren, be ye steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, for as much as ye know that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. Forward, onward. For Jesus Christ's sake, Father, in Jesus' name, I pray that you'd help us to take this to heart. And Lord, that we would lay a foundation, Father, for a life of usefulness to Christ. And that we would not build wood, hay, and stubble, the things that will burn up, but that we would lay in there gold and precious stones, Father, spiritually. God, do it for us, Lord, through us. Help us as we do our part, Father. We know that you never fail to do your part. Help us to do our part, Father, and to take responsibility for our lives and our futures, Father, and seek your face while we still can. Lord God, we thank you, Lord. Please keep us from evil. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil in Jesus' name. And Lord, we pray for Mobile, Alabama as we're down here trying to get out the gospel we pray that you'd send us the right souls lord god the ones that are ready the ones that are needy the ones that have been seeking you lord in the night as they lay on their beds cry and wondering lord how they can change their life and they can't and they need a savior lord send us to the people that need you today we love you today in jesus name amen